0: Now. hello there and welcome to episode 98 of right where you're sitting now um i've gone to the the through the Move zone and
1: you're, you're running out of no, ways yeah, I've got you're, you're running out of ways to describe me
0: way. i've traveled through the Move zone and encountered the elder ones and uh, brought one back with me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I see. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to the show, Mr. Marksadir. Right, yeah, it's right, yes. The crawling chaos. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, crawling yeah. chaos, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Nala Fotev himself has, uh, mm. has, has appeared back on the show. How have you been, sir?
1: Fine, excellent.
0: Excellent, that's good. That's short but sweet.
1: Yeah, well, we're <laughs> in the autumn equinox now. We're past that, mm-hmm. past that, so we're in the... Uh, the russet, the russet season of autumn. Yeah. With all its same charms. Beautiful
0: colours. And That's right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love the autumn. There's something about the autumn. There's an atmosphere to it. I've always... But yeah,
1: atmosphere and mellow golden sunshine. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's very, very nice. Anyway, who are we interviewing this week?
1: Ah, oh, well, it's uh, a gentleman called uh, Julian Simpson, who will be familiar to some of you. Why is that, Ken?
0: Uh, well, Julian Simpson is the director of the very popular Lovecraft Investigations. That's right, we're doing double Lovecraft. We, we did a Lovecraft episode of, of sorts last week and this one uh, this week. And uh, Julian has directed episodes of Doctor Who, uh, Spooks, but um, the Lovecraft Investigations is our kind of focus for the yeah. show. Yeah, yeah.
1: And also he... Uh references and he's influenced by other things that will be of interest I hope like Saffron Still mm-hmm. and Process uh, Church The Final Judgment gets yeah, a mention
0: number stations get a yeah, mention
1: yeah adaptions of M.R. Um, James's ghost stories I believe mm-hmm. and uh, other things conspiracy theories of the course of assault yeah
0: he's definitely one of us isn't he in terms of his interests which is uh, yeah, totally. yeah which is which is really good uh, so uh, this is a shorter episode this week uh, it was a shorter interview we only had a, a shorter window of time and hopefully one day we'll get him back on the show actually that be because grand, yeah yeah, because we could talk yeah you know, he's one of those people we could talk to for quite a long time I, 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 oh yeah totally. yeah anyway before we go on to the interview don't forget to subscribe to us on youtube uh, it, it, don't forget to which is at City Now don't forget to uh, come and join us on social media at Instagram at City Now Twitter at City Now and TikTok um, which is at City Now official but yeah do come say hello We're, I'm really enjoying the kind of dialogue have we've started to have with our listeners now which is really cool you know we've got regulars that I talk to all the time and we have the uh, we'll have the we'll have the Patreon coming soon which has a Discord involved with it so we'll all be able to you know um, what's the word congregate
1: con- i don't know what the word is and i doubt if that's the word <laughs> no
0: i don't think that's the word but we'll all be able to kind of meet in one space and that, that's going to be that's going to be a good congregate, congregate that's the word i'm looking for oh, there we go congregate i had a for a, gather yes yeah, so i had a brain fart as for, they call it for gather <laughs> for gather yeah. yeah anyway uh yes let's pop over to the interview now with julian simpson Hello, Julian Simpson. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. I'm a big fan. Could you give us a brief biography of
2: yourself, please? Yes, but this is kind of unrehearsed. So um, (laughs) I've been working in TV and film uh, here and in the US for a long time now. Um, I've worked on stuff like Doctor Who here and Spooks and more recently written a bunch of since like I don't know 2010 2008 maybe started doing audio drama for the BBC and ended up doing Lovecraft investigations and the Aldrich Kemp series um, fourth season of Lovecraft investigations is out now third season of Aldrich Kemp is coming out towards the end of next year uh, but I haven't written it yet so I can't there'll be no spoilers about that um, and yeah I just I write things and direct things. You seem to have a uh, interest in
0: the strange and the paranormal, uh, especially for the old radio dramas. Um, but, yeah. So, what was the I, kind of impetus to kind of blend that with with things like radio storytelling? I guess.
2: Well, so um, that's a good question, and that's actually one. It's kind of one of my hobby horses. You'll be, and so <clears throat> your listeners have got to buckle in now, I guess. But it's, um, <laughs> I uh recall and i have specifics but i remember being a kid and listening to ghost stories on the radio and i remember them being far scarier than anything i was reading or watching at the time because audio specifically for the supernatural has a power that Uh, other media doesn't have, at least for me, which is that you bring your imagination to it. So I'm not showing you a monster, which can only ever really be a bit disappointing. Um, I'm letting you conjure the thing that you're frightened of and let that exist in your head and let that be the mental image that you have. Um, And I think it works unusually well for audio with the supernatural. I think actually the supernatural and spooky stuff is by far and away the best stuff to do on audio. We just don't, for whatever reason, seem to do very much of it.
0: Yeah. Do you think that's the BBC maybe thinking, oh, there's not an audience or?
2: I think, I think we've proved there's an audience and I think that, and I think Danny Robbins has proved there's an audience as well. I think that, uh, I mean, BBC is a difficult one because, they have a limited number of slots. They have a limited budget for drama and their drama budgets have been cut year on year since forever. So, you know, the breadth of drama that they might like to be doing is just not possible within the fi- the, the resources that they have. Um, there's some good spooky podcasts around and there have been for a while. Tanis was a big oh, favorite. Tanis um, is
0: great, yeah. Uh,
2: Tannis kind of led into the first series of Lovecraft investigations in a lot of ways um, and the black tapes and, and that stuff. And I think um, but I don't, it's weird. There's not enough of it, but I guess it's a bit like horror movies, right? I don't watch a lot of horror movies, but I've been watching some recently because it's been Halloween and stuff. 90% of them are pretty bad. Um, and that's probably true of spooky audio as well, and that's why it doesn't get the kind of take-up, because if you listen to a couple and they're not very good, why would you continue?
0: Yeah, a lot of filmmakers will do a horror film as their first film, won't they? So it's kind of like... It's almost like it's it's like a rite of passage, and they still have well, to get through Well, it's that it. thing of,
2: you know, five teenagers go to a cabin and get killed one by one is one of the cheaper things to do. But it's also... Like, it's, Billy Wilder said that no one ever walked out of a whodunit. And it's it's sort of similar with those kind of movies. It's like, if you make that movie for a price, for a, for a, on a low budget, then there are enough people who just want to be entertained by a slasher pick that you've your audience might actually put you into profit. Whereas if you try and make the usual suspects or Reservoir Dogs to take two very bad examples because they're both successful, um, y- your audience is not built in.
0: No, no. But as I that no, there are very good horror films as well. Uh, Amazing it, horror films, yeah. yeah. What kind of like horror would you say influenced you?
2: Um, so from when I was a kid, The Omen, the original Omen, The Shining, mm-hmm. uh, The Exorcist, although I went back to it recently and I didn't like it as much. I hadn't seen it for a while. That's probably an unpopular thing to say because I know everyone loves it. Um uh, And then if we're going way back, there was a movie called The Medusa Touch that uh, with um, Richard Burton and Lee Remick that was, to my mind, aged maybe 11 or 12, the greatest film ever made. And then when it came out on Blu-ray and I watched it again, I was like, oh, no, it's really not. (laughs) (laughs) Really, quite bad.
0: I had that experience with I Batman, love- with the original, you know, the first Batman, Tim Burton film. Yeah, oh, got spray. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Yeah. You just think at the time that Batman film when it came out was such revolutionary. Oh, the Tim
2: Burton one. You're talking yeah, about the, the Tim, Tim Burton
0: one. Yeah. Sorry, the Tim Burton oh, yeah. one. Yeah.
2: Dreadful film but yeah. it seemed like I remember getting buying the graphic novel the t-shirt the baseball hat everything when that movie came out loved every second of it
1: yeah and then and you now watch it doesn't
2: stand up at all. it's kind of unwatchable
1: <laughs> like, yeah. and i suppose yeah, also yeah. with uh, horror film music within horror you can explore themes which you can't necessarily explore or which aren't so he, well, it opens itself up to being explore, exploring lots of different themes uh, within that it's like you can explore you know like Hammer, in for example, and comedy. Funny enough, they 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 were allowed because they did it un- to present things to the general public. Which, if you did it in a, a straight way, it would be completely unacceptable. So, like in the Vampire Lovers, you have got lesbian vampires in it. If you said, "Right, we're going to make a film about lesbians," that would be it, when it was made, it would be unthinkable. Absolutely, and, yeah. And, so and it's so the censor. Yeah, I mean, the censor allowed sort of a you know, it went you know allowed it you know um at the time
2: yeah and 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 you've got stuff like more recently um the invisible man dealing with domestic violence and stuff and um yeah you can you can but it's also i think it's kind of an interesting playground to deal with things that everyone's frightened of or are in some way taboo and it sort of seems to put a little protective kind of curtain around it to go it's okay to think about this stuff for an hour and a half now it doesn't need to be who you are it's
0: like my partner she only likes she only lets me watch horror with her in the living room um in, (laughs) in a particular time of the year for some reason like in the summer she refuses to watch horror but over the winter she'll watch it for some reason it's really strange how and I, I, think I, that
2: makes, I mean i find it quite autumnal horror i like to write i mean i'm I, this time of year is normally when i would have been writing lovecraft investigations or mythos or something because it's kind of we've kind of gone out of sync with it a bit but um you know, now when it's when there is rain against the window and the and the the nights are setting in, that's um, when I want to be dealing with stuff like that. I was reading a book recently about Guillermo del Toro's workspace. He has this house in LA, as you probably know, that's like a museum of horror and Lovecrafty and stuff. And he has a writer's r- a writing room in that. So it's in the middle of LA, so like you know, three hundred sixty four days a year, bright sunshine and eighty degrees. And he's got one room with blacked out windows. And at the press of a button, rain will hit the windows from the outside <laughs> like a spray of water. And, and, and the speakers will play a thunderstorm. And that's how he sits down to write.
1: Oh, fantastic. It sounds like something out of uh, Wiesemans and Root, you know, that, that, that very decadent Frenchman who, you know, created this artificial world he occupied. Mm. It's very, very, yeah. very similar. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely.
2: Absolutely.
0: How did you obviously? We're um, this show we're interested in Lovecraft in particular, but um, how did you sort of come across Lovecraft? And like, you know, obviously, he's obviously someone that's had some sort of effect on you, um obviously, to write- he has, but I think it's
2: not as profound or as deep as people might imagine from the fact that I've done four seasons of something called <laughs> the Lovecraft investigations. Um, I remember being in a bookshop as a kid and picking up they did three paperback kind of anthologies and i don't know which volume it was i got a feeling it was the haunter of the dark volume actually had a weird monster on the front i was at that point into the pan books of horror that were coming out and uh was it fontana that did a similar thing i can't remember um And I picked this book up, not really understanding, I don't think at the time that all the stories were by the same author because they hadn't been. And all these other books, they were by different people. Um, And I remember taking it home, and I think the first Lovecraft story I ever read was the music of Eric Zahn. Um, And I think the reason for that was probably because it was the shortest one in the book. Um, So uh, that was my intro and then it's just kind of hovered around really um and at a certain point 2015 2016 I think I reread the case of Charles Dexter Ward I have a copy down here that's like a standalone book of the case of Charles Dexter Ward and I read that and it was just around the time that Serial came out as a podcast a true crime podcast and I was looking at Lovecraft thinking not many people have successfully made these or adapted these into anything worthwhile. The H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society do amazing audio plays that are very much in period. But there wasn't much in the way of movies. John Carpenter had riffed on it within the mouth of madness. And I knew that Guillermo del Toro had tried to get the mountains of madness off the ground. And I was just thinking about how you modernize it and the difficulties and the difficulties with him, uh, with Lovecraft and his sensibility, which was kind of extreme even for the time, um, and how you dodge that and stuff. And I listened to Serial and I realized that there might be a way of dovetailing these two things, this idea of a true crime podcast, because Charles Dexter Ward is such a locked room mystery at its core. And then it has all of this stuff about the witch trials in the middle of the book, that I knew from a bit of research into that i had been doing into stuff like the process church the final judgment in the 60s and and the new forest covens and stuff I was like we've got that there was that witch craze in the 60s and 70s here that could be transposed from those salem style witch trials that that he talks about and that's where it came from really it was like okay true crime podcast that could be a way of updating this and just presenting it as a contemporary case mm.
0: Yeah, we, actually, um, we had Timothy Wiley from the Process Church on before he died. A few years oh, ago, really? yes, we have an episode with with uh, if listeners want to check that
1: out. But um,
2: oh, I'll send you a link
1: to
0: that. And what was he like?
2: Oh, you you're just a big fans of everyone you talk to, aren't you? So you... <laughs> you're I referred. think we're
1: just used to talking. We because being strange people ourselves and <laughs> occupying a liminal space. We're, we're, this is the world we occupy. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not it's not that weird to us. But uh, yeah, but uh, it's interesting about the, the the Lovecraft influence. I I think he's more of an Influence, rather. It's, like you say, adaptions mm. of his work, They've, they're hit and miss. But, yeah. um, and you can see the influence. But uh, weirdly, I think one of the most, uh, in, in the media, one of the most biggest influences, and it's going to sound very strange at first, is, um, is uh, the Alien film. You know the because the alien monster in that yeah. Geiger's work is it, it's got a very love, viscerally uh, Lovecraftian. <clears in the throat> well, when you
2: jump forward to Prometheus, the um, the sequel slash prequel that Ridley made, that has a monster in it. The thing with the tentacles that's in the room, I can't remember the setup, but there's a bit in in the end of the second act of Prometheus where there's a room with a tentacle monster in it. That's pure Lovecraft. Um, but yeah, the Geiger stuff is, and it's—I mean, it's cosmic horror is where the Lovecraft's influence to me is everywhere. You couldn't. There's no Stephen King without Lovecraft. There's no Ramsey Campbell probably without Lovecraft. There's no James Herbert. There's no, you know, everything kind of comes out of this um, uh, one kind of point in time, but. For me, the thing that I always loved about him was the unknowable weirdness.
1: He almost I'm less
2: attracted to stories like the Dunwich Horror or. reanimator and stuff like that i'm more into the i don't know what the hell i was just reading that but you know algernon blackwood is another one person that i love and a story like the willows where you just go well that was weird but i don't know what it was
1: <laughs> well funny enough Reanimator, you would think that would be because of, like you got the the uh, the movie zombie zombie apocalypse type things that's very popular yeah. isn't it it's not my cup of tea but um, I can yeah I can see that being that well, there was a there was a popular uh, adaptation of that wasn't there in the 80s? And it, and it was called reanimated. Yeah, wasn't yeah, it? yeah, that sort of yeah. gore fest, which was like popular in the yeah uh, yeah. I mean yeah I, 80s. I'm, I'm very similar to you. 80s horror films for me became very sort of formulaic, and they and they sort of a gore fest, which is in and of itself doesn't engage. I don't get enough out of it. So you know.
2: It's I agree cool. with you. But then there are those kind of crossover movies, like the first Hellraiser, which was yeah. pretty gory, but also felt like, like it clearly. had a lot yeah. of craft.
1: But it served a purpose. It did serve a purpose. And behind that was the uh, uh, sort of themes of, of pain. And, uh, Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and it was more about that, wasn't it? And, and visually yeah. representing that on screen. yeah. So No,
2: you're right. It wasn't. It didn't feel, even though it was gory, it didn't feel kind of gratuitous because it was part of the story.
1: And also with Lovecraft, he's almost like invented his own genre because he's not, you know, science fiction in the very sort of... uh um sanitized you know you think of like science fiction you know it's spaceships big shiny spaceships it's all sanitized it's got you know men with you know ray guns and whatever and then you've got like the gothic horror and it's all you know spooky mansions and misty things it's got that in it as well but it doesn't really fit in any particular thing those influences no. are there it's a it's, it occupies a very strange space quite appropriately enough in it, it, which you can't really sort of i mean there's like uh i can't I remember what it's called now, but there was one, there's like a H.P. Lovecraft story, very untypical, where it's set on the planet Venus and there's like some, there's like this invisible maze on it and this astronaut gets lost in it and there's got these Venusians with like tentacles coming out there. They don't speak, uh, but they got these tentacles coming out their chest. And they wiggle them around, and that's how they communicate in some weird way. But that's a good, But even that, it, it, I mean, that sounds, you know, just saying it like that, like a, a very typical sort of, you know, 50s. Like or something. Star Trek. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it, <clears> what <throat> he does with it is very odd. You know, it, yeah, it, it's very, yeah, it's got. A bit-
2: I mean, I was most recently my daughter was rewatching Agents of Shield, which is the last place you'd expect to find Lovecraft. Uh, influences and yet there's an entire season of that show with a portal to another planet that's pure lovecraft mm, um and super weird
0: yeah he, he I, I loved his kind of mythology he, he was a bit like what you've done in a way with um, the pleasant green stuff he kind of he would sort of bleed characters through, wouldn't he, in his books, like Nyla Thotep and this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah and but- also he'd bring in, which we haven't done yet, but he'd bring in other writers. So, you know, Robert Blake, as you know, in um, Haunter of the Dark, is meant to be Robert Block, the novelist who then went on and did a sequel to Haunter of the Dark yeah
1: that shambler from the stars i think it was called. yes that, that's the I, I was thinking about this earlier and trying to think what did i dream that did i just no, have i just made that title? Found it on eBay. but it sounds yeah. right. it sounds right yeah it? Yeah. yeah 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 and, and also I, I i picked up in the haunter in the dark uh, there's lots of r- it riffs back to 1935 which is when uh lovecraft originally sort of penned it penned the haunter in the dark so those little touches were did uh, he Yes, he did. Because I
2: didn't know that. You see, that <laughs> <Yeah>. one of You're <laughs> having me on. <laughs> you're it's, having me on. <laughs> so this is something that happens with the Lovecraft investigations. Every single time I sit down to write a series is weird things, weird coincidences present themselves. And actually, the reason we went back to 1935 specifically for Haunter of the Dark was because I was trying to make the connection between the first radar tests and what happened at the Blake House, and those first radar tests took place in 1935. Wow!
1: That's so that was
2: my 1935 reference. I had no idea. I mean, <laughs> it may have been in the back of my mind because I will have read it somewhere, but it wasn't a deliberate reference to when he wrote Haunted of the Dark. But that in itself is interesting.
1: Yeah, something's bubbling up out of the uh, cauldron the, of, of the unconscious <laughs> like, or something. Exactly.
0: <laughs> um, one thing I get when I listen to your your productions is. I'm, I'm just guessing here, um, but are you a fan of kind of seventies kind of kids TV as well? Things like um, Children of the Stones, that kind of era?
2: Yes, in theory, except not in practice. Like uh, I, yes, I've, um, a friend of mine did an adaptation for audio, I think of Children of yeah, the yeah, Stones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, which I have not listened to. I can't remember if I told him that I haven't listened to it, but I haven't listened to it and I didn't see the show. I didn't see, I in theory am steeped in that stuff, but I, there are lots of gaps.
0: Right. Interesting. Um, but I noticed the Sapphire and Steel reference in the
1: new... Oh, yeah. Sapphire and Steel,
2: I'm all over. Yeah, I'm yeah. all over <laughs> Sapphire and Steel. When, I, when yeah. I was
1: listening to it, when I was listening to The Haunch of the Dark, I, I, I was thinking to myself, well, that's a bit like something of Sapphire and Steel. Then one of the characters then references <laughs> Sapphire and Steel almost yeah. immediately. So that's a yeah. compliment to you.
2: <laughs> <coughs> I love Sapphire and Steel. I was desperate oh, yeah. to do a remake of it at, at one point, And I was talking to ITV and they just had... This was going back a few years absolutely no interest in ever resurfacing that again
1: yeah it's a shame or but even a decent book i've yeah. said this before <laughs> even like a big decent book a big coffee table book with like glossy pictures and and like you know interviews and blah blah blah. yeah but uh no can you
0: imagine that meeting i just can't imagine the meeting the pitch meeting for sapphire and have Hill. you
2: met the guy have you met is it pj hammond that's his I've name isn't it no no So I did sit down when I wanted to do Sapphire and Steel. I was like, let's get permission. Let's, you know, do it properly. And I sat down with him. And um, he's a fascinating guy. And it's interesting because Sapphire and Steel, he acknowledged this, frankly gets a bit rambly in certain stories. And he said the reason for that was because they never knew how many episodes they were going to get. So they basically keep writing until someone said stop um so you know those first couple of adventures are in a lot of ways longer than they need to be yeah. um
1: i think the pace and the number of episodes are difficult for people now to digest we got like yeah. you know we're like gnats in know you know we're being conditioned to it with social media to like you know have everything in. Short attention span. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and I, even the tone, even the ambiguity of it is not going to be to people's taste. People want but you know what's really
2: whatsoever. amazing about Sapphire and Steel when you rewatch it is, uh, and relevant to what we're talking about, is how much they do with sound alone. Yeah. Because without any kind of effects budget at all. They make a lot of hay out of footsteps coming downstairs that you can't see and stuff. There's a lot of a lot of the spookiness of *Sapphire and Steel* is on the soundtrack.
0: Yeah. Did you ever hear the big finish? Uh, you know, big finish. The um, audio. I have
2: not have they done? Did they do? Who did they well, get?
0: This is a mystery because they did. They released three seasons of it, three um, set you know, seasons of sets of CDs, and then now vanished. No mention on the website. So maybe there was some legal...
2: They didn't have the rights, did they? Yeah,
0: something like that. Yeah, but they they were fantastically well done. Mark Gatiss... Who did they get? Um, I've forgotten the name of the actors now. Um, They're quite well known. Um, Hang on, I'm going to look this up. This is very unprofessional of me mid-interview, but I shall look it up.
2: (laughs) I do, 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 do. Because, Because they could have had Joanna Lumley, but she probably doesn't sound like Sapphire anymore.
0: No, it wasn't Joanna Lumley. It was... Hang on a minute, here we go. Audio plays... It was Susanna Harker and David Warner.
2: So, so, David Warner, who was in Sapphire and Steel as someone else, wasn't he? Was he
1: in Sapphire and Steel? Was he? I don't remember that. Uh, I can't remember that. I might be completely wrong. So we
2: had in something in Mythos, I think it was, in maybe the third adventure of Mythos, mm. we had the guy who plays Silver.
0: Oh, interesting. Mm. I didn't spot that
2: um but i can't remember who he was playing but i remember getting excited because i was in the same room as the guy who played silver
1: uh, yeah, well, yeah i'd be i'd, I'd join um, you i would join you in that. exam <laughs> i mean pj hammond i think he's a great he's a great he's a he's, an, he's an underappreciated he's like yeah. he's an underappreciated uh he did also a few another thing i'm a big uh, I'm a big enthusiast of from the 70s is a series called uh very obscure series called the ace of wands and he wrote, he wrote a couple of those episodes yeah, I didn't know that. and uh so and those have the hallmark you can tell straight away it's his stuff if you if you if you recognize it if you can recognize it and i got... think he
2: should be i think he should be mentioned in the same breath as nigel neal but he's not is he
0: no it's a shame he did a couple of um torchwood episodes as well the doctor who spin-off. he um yeah yeah wrote a couple of those i think as well but yeah again he's one of those i think he's most of his career it's things like um you know like uh like procedural kind of stuff like um casualty and things like you know that is that kind of thing
2: probably is yeah because you know if you get if you i mean i don't know i don't know how successful sapphire and steel was at the time um, it's got kind of a long tail culturally insofar as we all remember it, but I don't know if it was actually attracting advertisers at the time. Um, but he didn't get a chance to do another one. He yeah. didn't get a, they didn't give him another shot at creating something else.
1: No, and it only ran for a couple of years, didn't it? it, was... it had a cartoon in Looking magazine. Oh, yeah, that's oh, true. Yeah. No, there so you if go, that's, that's any if sign of... If be, any... I read every page
2: of that cartoon. That's not to be underestimated.
1: <laughs> if, if, if that's any sign of success in the world, I... I, I... <laughs> um,
0: one thing you do with the Lovecraft investigations is a kind of... We were talking about this earlier um, before the interview. was. It, it's almost like you're building a alternative conspiracy theory, in a way. You know, or a sort of... Um, it's kind of... Could you talk to a bit about that? Did you draw much yeah. from conspiracy theory?
2: It wasn't really intentional. But um, what happened with the case of Charles Dexter Ward, once I knew I wanted to weave in this 60s and 70s witch craze business, then immediately... And you look at stuff like The Process Church, which we weren't riffing on that hard, but it was more a kind of fictionalised version of it... But Mick Jagger and Marianne Faithful were involved in that for a while. And so you start to go, okay, real people. I've always been a big fan of James Elroy's American tabloid series. And I was a huge JFK fan, the Oliver Stone film. So I do love a conspiracy theory when it's kind of exposed properly and it's not just a bunch of anti-vax nonsense. I like, uh, you know, a nice wrap the world up in an imaginary X-Files type conspiracy. Um, and, and so it kind of grew out of Charles Dexter Ward of kind of going, well, the establishment would probably be involved and then therefore we can have some establishment figures and then we can start to thread that back. And, and I was in the London library when I was doing Charles Dexter Ward, looking at early magic stuff and early occult stuff. And that kind of got me back to Mesopotamia and then uh, that kind of invention we made of how the Joseph Cohen character in Charles Dexter Ward works and being the reincarnation of a Mesopotamian sorcerer and, and carrying that kind of possession entity through. Um, so it just kind of became part of the DNA of the show in the first series. And the second series was never meant to have anything to do with the first series. So we did the first series as an experiment. It went very well i sat down to do the second series i knew i was going to do whisper in the dark um and i had no expectations that anyone other than the two main hosts would return to the show and it would be a completely different story and that was the plan to just do self-contained separate lovecraft stories each season and then within like a few pages of the first script it had kind of crept in and i was like well the natural thing for them to find here is a photograph of this character from the first series and then this spider web started to kind of emerge so now i've got like family trees on my computer that go back from the modern day all the way back to 600 bc and i've got timelines that span 2000 years showing me all the different events and what becomes really great about the process of doing it at that point is that you start to write a new story and you start to plug events into that timeline and immediately it shows you what they clash with what else was happening at the time so when you say oh you know um uh, edwin lillybridge was in paris in 1925 i'm already immediately like so was crowley so was this person so was this person and you start to be able to stitch things together in that kind of coincidental way, a little bit like the 1935 thing. And so it starts to take on a life of its own and it feels less like you're inventing a conspiracy theory and more like you're uncovering one. But also like, uh, like Umberto Eco's book, Foucault's Pendulum, it shows you as a kind of intellectual exercise how easy it is to invent a conspiracy theory you know like you take three events and you can you can always with a bit of googling find a way of joining the dots and it's always entertaining and it's also quite instructive because you go oh god people believe this stuff yeah and i can now know how how easy it is to make up
1: it's like a sort of petri dish like the internet's a petri dish you know which is which has got a culture in it called conspiracy theory you always say though that it, it there was an innocence to earlier conspiracy yeah theory. Well, i
0: always say that um before nine eleven, if you look at the kind of culture around conspiracy theory, um it was much more a subculture. It was very left wing a lot of the time. And it was very yeah. um uh it was it was more like a sort of geeky, nerdy sort of thing that people were into almost. Whereas then after nine eleven it seemed to It was off. I mean
2: I think you're right. I mean I think there was some darkness to it as well because oh, yeah. I think the, and the, Cooper and, yeah. the elders of Zion and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. it, it, that was always pretty nasty. But I think you're right, like, no one, you know, we were all, I'm sure you as much as I was, were, you know, X-Files fans, 1947, Roswell, the alien autopsy stuff, fascinating, Who Killed JFK? All of that stuff is fascinating, but we never really bought, it wasn't mainstream, like people knew about this stuff, but it was entertainment and everyone understood the line between real life and this is what Mulder and Scully are investigating and at a certain point I think you're right probably after 9-11 that line got really blurry and suddenly you've got QAnon happening and you're like guys this is like a bad X-Files plot why are so many people thinking it's real as someone
0: that's, I've been interested in conspiracy theory for a long time a, a lot more of the culture of it actually rather than the theories themselves yeah, yeah. the people are very interesting like i was Ooh. always fascinated by william cooper who was like a, pro- a proto alex jones and then obviously jones came along and I loved, yeah i love the stuff john ronson did with um alex jones and david ike and all this kind of stuff yes but yeah it was i think what as q was crazy if you've always been interested in that stuff you can really see where they've been plucking if you look at the kind of narrative of q you can really just pick apart you know well this was david ike This was uh, William Cooper. This was Alex Jones. It's just been kind of, it's like an aggregate of all of these different. It is. And when you
2: do it, when you do it yourself, you start to see how easy it is as well. I mean, it's like QAnon really didn't. I mean, there's there's work involved in getting it to take off. But in terms of stitching a story together, it's as flimsy as Scientology in terms of, you know, you can just throw some shit into a bucket and stir it up and pour it out and go, here you go. Here's a worldview.
0: Yeah. Were you ever, uh, were you ever tempted to bring Scientology into the Lovecraft investigations at all? Is that just no, a, a lawsuit waiting to happen?
2: <laughs> well, we've, we've referenced it a little bit because we did in season two or three. We talked about Jack Parsons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, so we we uh, we we mentioned L. Ron Hubbard in passing. Um, I haven't dug into Scientology in the show. Uh. Because like, it feels like Elron Hubbard had that moment of dovetailing with the Agape Lodge and stuff in, in California, um, and then he was off. And he was kind of in it for the money. He was kind of, you know, um, uh, kind of bounced out of it quite quickly when he stole a bunch of money off Jack Parsons and disappeared. So... I don't know that there's much crossover with Scientology, weirdly, and I find, I, honestly, it's not a subject I know very much about. Every time I've tried to properly sit down and look at Scientology, I've got bored really quickly.
0: Mm. I think the, dif- a, the difference between like, doesn't have any hooks to me. Yeah, I guess the difference between someone like Elron Hubbard and Crowley is, regardless of what you think of either of them. Crowley at least uh, lived it and kind of believed it that, you know, the, the occult thing, whereas Elrond Hubbard, like you say, it, it, I mean, he's, he's on record as saying the, the best way to make money is to start a religion and all this. Although stuff. having said
2: that, there was a great story I found about the new forest coven and I've blanked on the name of the guy who started it. Gerald or Gardner. Claimed, Gerald Gardner. Mm. Gardner approached Crowley to be part of the Wicca movement that he was kind of, you know, claiming to, to, to be the, it could kind of be responsible for the resurgence of. And Crowley apparently wrote back to him going, there's no money in it. I'm not interested.
1: <laughs> that, uh, yeah. That there's a slightly garbled uh, uh, account. Well, it's more accurate to say that Gerald Gardner joined the OTO. Yeah. that's it. And, yeah. Uh, and, ah. and before he even joined the OTO, he, he um, plagiarized lots of sections of Crowley's works, and so it's sort of yeah. So if you actually go look at the sort of the core material, Wicker, um, yeah, there has got there's whole sections of it from the Book of the Law, for example. Well, right. Gardner, Joe Gardner did, pla- uh, you know, I think he had was onto something actually, but uh, he did plagiarize quite a bit from apparently. <laughs> so yeah, so there is that. So they did actually meet, but it was in the last life of Crowley's last year of Crowley's life, I should say. And, uh, yeah, so there is, there is a sort of, yeah, but that, they, that account there's, you know, the, the, there's that as one of those sort of, there's it like, all, these, these fables often have a little grain of truth in them. And the, yeah, 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 yeah. So there's, there's mm. something there, but it's not exactly, that's not exactly right. And also, but you well, see the
2: version that you've got Mark, which is almost certainly far, far more accurate than the version we used. our versions pithier.
0: <laughs>
1: i i def i de- i' to i <laughs> Excellent. Well, t-
0: talking about people around the end of crody's life and i was i'm really mm-hmm. interested um if you know of this guy Do you, have you ever read or heard of kenneth grant before
2: yes, but i don't know why
0: well he's he was the an acolyte of crody's he was his secretary um and yeah not, took a, You'll correct me on this, probably. He took over the ATO at one point. He ran the ATO he, in England. He,
1: he was responsible. Yeah. Responsible, please note. Yeah. For the ATO in England, in, 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 yeah, at a certain point. Yeah. But
0: he was—he famously weaved Lovecraft into um, Crowley's work. So if you read Kenneth Grant's work, it's infu- its magical writing infused with
2: um, H.P. Lovecraft. I'm writing that down, yeah. right? Yeah? <laughs>
1: there you go. Well, that's that's Because was...
2: his name has come up. Uh, because, uh, but I wonder if I actually just read it in that City of the Beast book recently. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, 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 yeah maybe, maybe, maybe. possibly, yeah. And he, um... I'm thinking, I mean, I, I'm toying with this idea, I don't know where we, whether we'd finance it or not, um, of doing a Lovecraft investigation special on Crowley. Oh,
0: wow, that'd be good.
2: Because it's something that I haven't, so we're a fictional podcast, and it would be really interesting to me to take a, to do the research properly, do the real story of the life of Crowley, but have it presented by two fictional characters, with possibly Eleanor Peck jumping in. Oh yeah. To. My favorite rubbish things and poo poo things but nonetheless have the research so we're not stitching fiction with fact together we're not making wild suppositions we are actually as a piece of background doing a proper solid researched piece on crowley but framing it within a fictional podcast would be kind of interesting
1: and actually in a, in a, a, a crowley does appear is uh, in one of lovecraft's stories the shadow from out of time and and uh, he he refers to somebody. He refers to him, but not by name. But that's it. he who's living at because he was living in New, New York at the time, and yeah. Uh, so the he, he does so he does end up funny enough in one of Lovecraft's stories. So yeah. Um, and also, but, it's that
2: book, the magician, as well, is about Crowley, isn't it?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's right. Yeah. The yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was made into a film as well, actually. Yeah, yeah. How did they make a movie of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the twenties, in uh, like nineteen twenty. Yeah, it was in the twenties. It was a black and white thing. In, uh, yeah. Right. Okay. In Crowley's lifetime, actually.
2: <laughs> oh, that must be
1: weird. what <laughs> uh, Well, I think yes. Yeah. Well, yes. He was yes. There's actually as well. Um, you you in the there's a in the Haunter in the Dark there's a photograph, isn't there, by Man Ray, which has. Picasso and Crowley in it and there is actually a connection there because there is an actual, there is a possible connection between Crowley and uh, Picasso because they there was a, in France, which is still there apparently, the um, which is a cabaret club. Um, I was there
2: a few weeks ah. ago.
1: Well, uh, Crowley refers. He, he, there's a story. Uh, he, he, you know, when we in the Bohemian he was, um, you know, obviously that was a place he was very familiar with. And there's a story called The Dream Sermon, which begins and ends in the uh, uh, Lapland. Yes, yeah. Oh, wow. and, and and Picasso, of as you must know, he also was a, a, a denizen of that. And in fact, one of his most famous uh, paintings is called the 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 quick rabbit though, isn't it? Yeah, the yeah. Agile rabbit, and yeah. funny enough as well. The in the in Picasso painting, the proprietor of the cabaret is on the stage playing an accordion or something. And in um, Crowley's The Dream Circian, he appears as one of the characters.
2: There you go. So <laughs> we, I mean, obviously the photo that we reference isn't doesn't no, exist, no. but. Uh, I think the idea of Man Ray, Alice Prynne, Nancy Cunard, those guys all being together at something like the Grong in your theatre, while you can't prove it, the chances are quite reasonable that they would have all been moving in the same social circles and would have known each other.
1: Lady uh, Crowley knew Lady Cunard very well.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. So it's... it's, uh, one of the things I love about the Lovecraft Investigations, and I think it's a, actually it's a really clever narrative device, as well as Eleanor Peck. I think Eleanor Peck's, yes. Eleanor Peck's character, and for those who don't listen, basically, Ele, Ele, uh, to have, haven't listened to the show yet, but will after this. No spoilers. <laughs> no, no spoilers yeah, yeah. But Eleanor Peck's like an academic kind of character that the main cast refer back to when... And she's kind of... she. But what's so clever about that character, I think, is that she kind of weaves... The fantasy and the and the fact or the you know the real kind of myths together in this really, really interesting way. And um I'm imagining you had to do quite a lot of reading to to to, to write well, it's the pen.
2: Actually it's it's weirdly yes, on season two onwards, yes I did. On season one, what that character became or rather that character evolved out of the reading I'd done insofar as I was like, I've done all this research and I've got no way to put it in, like invisibly within the drama. There's just reams of this stuff. Um, I need the Donald Sutherland in JFK character. I need someone who can just sit down and go, boom, here it is.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: And so Eleanor Peck was born out of, out of me not wanting to waste any of my research. (laughs) Um, and then yes consequently you go now this is a horrible monster i have to feed every season (laughs) because um i mean she's great she's a great repository as a character for all that research and she's very very good it's it's a personal thing of mine going back to jfk and i'm sure you guys have it with conspiracy theories and with x files and various other other things in other media i absolutely love a good chunk of exposition oh yeah
0: me too yeah Yeah. if
2: someone is going to thread a story together for me then i'm 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 right there um so i was kind of delighted to be able to do that because no one ever lets you do it on television they're all like it's too much exposition and i'm like no it's just the right amount of exposition.
0: She gets a whole episode pretty much at one point. She gets a whole episode. And the
2: thing, I mean, Nicola Walker records that stuff pretty much in real time. So, you know, you hit one of those chunks and it takes barely longer than the episode run to record it because it's just.
0: She's fantastic in it as well. I think Nicola Walker's a, absolutely fantastic i i I loved her in spooks weirdly she was in spooks she was excellent yeah that's how i met her directed
2: Uh, i directed her in spooks oh Uh,
0: brilliant i didn't know that yeah i was a big spooks fan i used to love spooks but uh, (laughs) um yeah one thing with um oh yeah this is another thing as well i didn't uh, i didn't know this recently until recently but um you actually sort of meld your other shows into the lovecraft it's like a universe now it's the pleasant green universe it's being called now it it? is yeah
2: it's sort of there's a little bit of shoehorning and banging with a hammer to get it (laughs) together because it wasn't necessarily and it's intended now but it wasn't necessarily intended then so you're sort of retrofitting older things there's a play called bad memories especially oh, yeah. which have had to kind of relocate the house subtly in the lovecraft investigations to make it all fit um, but yeah i've always loved that as well i've always loved um i used to get such a kick as a kid of watching especially american tv shows where you'd see crossovers happen mm. yeah. um and i just get so excited that there was a kind of a whole world out there with characters moving between them. And so with uh, that's what, uh, like I say, that wasn't intentional. The first season of, of Lovecraft Investigations was meant to stand alone. And then as I started into season two and started weaving stuff from season one in, I started looking further afield and going, well, is there something in Mythos that can be brought in here? And that's when Parker came in and then stuff from Bad Memories became the Blake House and that became a big part of seasons two and four of Lovecraft um so yeah i mean it's and then uh, and then people kind of got carried away there's wikis and stuff now yeah i uh, found uh, that the other day as well (laughs) what what's really funny about that is it becomes this circular thing because as i was writing season four i was like what did i say about that and rather than go back to my own stuff i'm (laughs) looking on the wiki because it's quicker
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's that's, that's,
1: that's that's delightful (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so i noticed that with the charles dexter ward that feels a lot more lovecraft heavy than the following uh stories
2: and again because that world building happened and i yeah. think um and it's interesting every time i feel like charles dexter ward is always the touchstone that's the one i always listen to before i start a new series every time i go i want it to i want this new series to be more like that was and then, and then nonetheless, each time they seem to kind of drift further away from that. Um, and I think that's probably healthy. Um, there's something about the kind of the birth of Charles Dexter Ward, the fact that Haywood that is reading out a plea for finance at the beginning of it and, and talking about the other podcasts and stuff that we've slightly lost as we focus in on this kind of ongoing conspiracy um and i think if we do a season five i would like to kind of bring it back to its origins a little bit which feels like if we are doing it we don't know if we're commissioned yet but if we do get to do call of cthulhu for season five then i feel like that's a good opportunity to kind of come back to our roots a little bit
0: well yeah because they've lost their uh the place of work now haven't they so. they've lost it so
2: they're now a little bit more run and gun and gorilla which i think is good and um and yeah there's a possibility of it being a little bit more matter in the way that the first series was one
0: thing yeah so in the whisper in the darkness which is my favorite of the series so far uh, interesting yeah um you, uh there's two major things in there that really attracted me to it and one was number stations and the second yes, thing was, the oh yeah we'll talk about that uh and, and the other <laughs> thing was um i've i've been recently i've become fascinated with this um intersection between municipality and kind of the occult and um paranormal so like when a government agency or you know something from the establishment is somehow involved with the occult or the paranormal so for example uh the Monroe um uh, institute which is a a sort of self-hypnosis-y kind of uh outer body experience um engine i suppose you could call it like audio experience the government the cia were interested in it and uh, documents leaked recently or you know just fell out of secrecy recently and yeah i love that
2: we had a we had like a ufo investigation department in the british government at one point which was british x-files and i suspect wasn't nearly that exciting but
0: yeah but i think that's that's really i mean when i listen to that that season two in particular that's that seems that feels because you get parker suddenly appears and you have the you know this kind of the government suddenly appearing in in there as well what i don't know i don't know if that's fascinating to you but to me i love that kind of that crossover i think it's yeah i mean it's
2: partly i'm always trying to slightly dodge the laundry files because i think charles stross did that stuff so well but um but I've always loved the Department of Works and they kind of started out in a play I did called Fugue State. And I can't remember if they were named or not, but that was who they were meant to be. And then, uh, and then they kind of cro- creep in through mythos and then I brought them into Whisperer. Um, and yeah, because I, I, because I feel like if you're going to, at least this is the worldview that I'm kind of playing with in the shows, If you're going to um, ground your conspiracy theory, then it needs to be something that the authorities are aware of. Otherwise, it's just folklore. So Mm -hmm. if the authorities are aware of it, you've got to assume they've diverted some funds to dealing with it, at which point you get the Department of Works, and their involvement makes you go, oh, okay, we're now up against something that, whether they're on your side or not, it's clearly a beer moth. It's clearly something that you know solidifies the idea. Um, but I also love, you know, I love walking around Whitehall and looking at those all those closed doors and imagining what's going on behind. And you know, it's accountancy, right? You know, yeah. in reality, it's super dull. Yeah. But, there, but I love to imagine that there's something interesting happening back there.
0: And number stations, of course. I mean, that's a that's one of the great. Those are really. I
2: think they're one of the few things that I am, that I find genuinely scary. Yeah,
0: same. Yeah,
2: (laughs) in a way. So I remember getting uh, all of the CDs of the Connet project, who collected all of those number stations, and sitting late one night in the dark, listening to them. And initially, they're just a bit weird. And then you start to picture, you start to go, but someone made this. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And we don't know specifically what it's for. Like, we kind of know what it's for. But but then, but why have they recorded a kid reading numbers? Isn't that, like, beyond the, like, Mm. was that, that seemed unnecessary?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it could, I mean, it could be something completely mundane, but it feels like, it feels there's something spooky about them i don't know there's what it is something yeah. really
2: otherworldly about it isn't there yeah, something yeah. just quite bizarrely strange you know in quite a tangible way whereas you know we can read all about the occult and mysteries and there's belief involved in that and there's imagination involved in that but this is just a thing you can put on your headphones and go this exists yeah people are weird
0: yeah <laughs>
2: It's more accessible, yeah.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Anyway, thank you so much for giving us some of your time.
2: Thank you very much indeed, guys.
0: And we're back. What did you think of that interview, Mr. Satir?
1: well i think it sort of speaks for itself it's a very fertile um ground cover there um but yeah we could have been oh, it could have used i've always often say you know we could have go on we've gone on and um but that's always a good thing isn't it so yeah leave, leave
0: them wanting more
1: exactly it left me wanting more yeah. like that, which is good
0: yeah yeah definitely i think um it's always interesting because Often we inter- we interview occult
1: authors. Um, so yeah, it's, so it's slightly it's, it's more tangential to us, so but so it's slightly different. Yeah, which is interesting, and but
0: obviously the uh, the subject matter of the Lovecraft investigations is um, you know it's definitely within our territory, isn't it? So yeah, it's kind so, of so uh, it's got
1: many facets. to yeah, this, this thing, and then uh, you know lots of different ways in
0: and one thing that's interesting we mentioned in the interview his other shows as well um, which I only really discovered recently so there's one called Mythos uh, which I believe you can find on his website which I think is cartoongravity.com or I'll link it in the show notes and yeah you should be able to find it easily enough if you search for Julian Simpson but uh, he also did another show called Aldridge Kemp or it's like who is Aldridge Kemp and then who killed Aldridge Kemp and then I think there's three or four series of that now um and another one called mythos which was fantastic that was uh i've listened to that today and uh again they all weave in and out of each other and they they have that similar thing where they bring in kind of real cultural references and kind of occult references and paranormal yeah. references and I, I i love that kind of that kind of weaving of uh the story
1: yeah and, and and fictional elements as well and it's a mm-hmm. uh, very finely sort of uh, mixed mm-hmm. uh, uh chopped and uh, so it's difficult to know where one ends and the other begins
0: yeah which i like actually you know and it's particularly i mean i shared this uh lovecraft investigations with a, a podcaster of, of your a shout out to the viking youth and uh the the uh, chap i was talking to from the viking youth was saying yeah he, he loved it it was you know it's a great way of weaving things together and it just makes a it makes it if you're already interested in this stuff it makes for really good storytelling yeah. i think yeah so it's nice to see it kind of you know and the production value is very good as well which is always nice you know bbc production value and all that anyway um if you want to check out the lovecraft investigations they're on um all your pub, podcast apps so if you go to like spotify or apple um, you will find them easily enough to search for the lovecraft investigations and so make sure you start at the beginning which is what they tell you to do in the show anyway but make sure you go back and start at Charles Dexter at the case of Charles Dexter Ward which is the first one and my my favourite as I say in the, sh- in the interview is is the second series um, uh, The Shadow over Innsmouth, which I, I really enjoyed but uh, yeah anyway um, yes yeah, so like I said before the interview don't forget to follow us on all our social medias at sitting now and we will be back next week and see you next time